You're listening to the Highway One Podcast. Hey everyone, Jeff here, and thank you for joining me on the Highway One Podcast. The podcast where we meet Canadian musicians, some you've heard of, and some I hope you'll want to hear more about, where we discuss their music, their scene, their city, the venues they've played, and the places they've been along Canada's own TransCan Highway. In this edition of the podcast, episode number three, we catch up with Sean L. Spicer. Wait, I know what you're thinking. It's not that Sean Spicer. You know the one I'm talking about, the one made famous by Melissa McCarthy on Saturday Night Live? No. This is the guitar playing Gibson and Dorsey, featured in Guitar Magazine, Cool Sean Spicer. Sean lives in the greater New York area, and I caught up with him via the telephone to discuss his solo instrumental releases, some of his awards he's won along the way, gospel music, and some of the films Sean has worked on and is currently working on. Without further delay, let's do this. Hello. Hey, Sean. Hi. Hello, Jeff. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good. Good. Are, are we recording yet or no? We, will re- we are. Let me re- know when you're going to record. We're recording. Oh, awesome. Okay. Hey. Okay, I was going to invite you down here for a Sabres game, so... Uh, <laughs> what a tease. Yeah, no, I get tickets all the time. I tickets next uh, next week to the Senator, so if you ever make it down here, I can take you to a Sabres game. Uh, I might have to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, you can I don't never care, get these I don't tickets, care what so. team it is, either. Yeah. Well, what? Leafs are good, it's the Sabres suck, so... But, uh... That's you okay. Get, you can get uh, you, you can get tickets, so I got them. And I'm in. I'm in, buddy. Hey, thanks for speaking with me, and it's great having you on the podcast. I'm really I'm grateful for you to be on the show. Oh, I'm grateful to be speaking with you. You're an accomplished guitar player and an award-winning guitar player at that within the gospel genre. Uh, but before we go there, I wanted to delve into a bit of your background and your history. You grew sure. up. You grew up in Toronto, right? Yes, was born and raised in Toronto GTA. And you started playing guitar around the age of nine? Yes, exactly. Uh, that's a rather young age to be playing guitar. So what was the motivating force to make you want to pick up the guitar? When you realize you suck at hockey. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was something my parents got me lessons and uh, I gravitated. But then I kind of got out of it for a bit. But then in high school, at about age 14, grade nine, I just went full in. I mean, I was coming home at lunchtime to practice and I took my, my, my guitar and put it in my locker and if I had a spare or something I'd, I'd be practicing or practicing in the cafeteria and by the end of grade 12 I was in an accomplished Rush tribute that was playing down at the gas works they were called Void and we opened up for Nazareth uh, one time in uh, in Hamilton at Bannisters but we played like all the you know the, the, the A circuit Toronto like Hot Rocks and Brampton and the gas works uh, upstairs downstairs so yeah uh, all, the, all that practicing uh, paid off. So who were you listening to? Now, you mentioned Rush, but who were some of your influences back then? Well, that was the 80s. Everything was in the 80s. I mean, I didn't have a problem listening to Platinum Blonde uh, or Duran Duran or even the heavier he- heavier bands. The, the metal bands were coming out where Great Guns and Roses came out. I mean, it was just the 80s, like the 70s, was a really good era for music. 
Um, Agreed. Whether it was hard rock or soft rock or new wave or everything in between, I, I just kind of took it all in. But Rush was my influ- main, main influence. Uh, the Police, I was into the newer Yes uh, stuff that, you know, when they came, became more commercial. Pink Floyd was always huge on my agenda. Yeah. Those are those are things that I was listening to back then as well. Uh, sorry, how old are you, buddy? I'm 48. Okay, I'm I'm 47. I'll be 48 in a month. So you and I are pretty much the same age, and I think you know we were listening to a lot of the same things that were indicative of what was going on in music here in Toronto back then. Um, can I ask you though, where you grew up, were there other people, other friends you had? or other people within your peer group that were playing instruments and were they also joining bands or were you singularly by yourself? Yeah, yes I was. In high school there was other guitar players or other drummers and you networked. You used to go down to the local music store and they had like a, um, a billboard and the other musicians would put ads and you do it. And I remember one of the musicians I met and uh, befriended and spent time with Neil LaFortune. Even back in the 80s he was just passionate and just totally sold out to drums even back then. I think even after a couple of years, he was teaching. And we had jammed, and we were jamming on Rush songs, and he started playing with his brother's band. So I remember him even way back in uh, uh, in the 80s, like 85, 86, 87, 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah, well, I spoke to Neil a couple of weeks ago. I've known Neil since 2003. And, yes. And, I, and it's funny, because back then I didn't know that he had, he had only been playing drums, I think about that time, probably... I guess maybe about 10 years and he had accomplished so much in such a short period of time because he is a phenomenal player. Um, Yeah, he he was sold out. I mean, he he was extremely dedicated. He took lessons. He studied. He he, he found other really accomplished drummers around Toronto and I remember him studying after them and and it's just amazing and inspiring that he's doing it like for a living now and, and traveling and doing all sorts of other stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you were much the same way, right? So you were dedicated to your craft. Uh, I understand you studied at the Royal Conservatory and you also studied at uh, Humber College's prestigious music, music program? Yeah, I never graduated. They had a strike that year, but I, I did go. And I also went to the Royal Conservatory for a bit. And then I took private lessons. And of course, uh, a lot of stuff was self-taught, and especially in this day and age, I mean, you can just go on YouTube and learn different things, and uh, I studied with even just recently different players with online courses and stuff like that, and I'm still learning. I want to go back and, and get a degree in jazz guitar uh, at Berkeley, but not at 10, but just take it online, and that's on the hit list of something I want to do very soon and, and, and study that. Well, was there a moment within when you were growing up when you constantly thought, Whatever I do for the rest of my life, I have to be playing guitar or playing music. Exactly. When I um, sort of did the adult thing, the responsible thing, and I had a, 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 you know, I went to college for a little bit and got some type of background in, in a certain field and, and was working with a good company. And uh, it's like you climb the ladder and you realize that it's leaning up against the wrong building. <laughs> and I achieved what I wanted to. I bought a house, and 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 that company I thought that would be there for the rest of my life, um, which was Enbridge at the time. I was one of their gas inspectors and making a great sale, you know, company vehicle and profit sharing. They decided to cut my department, and I was kind of at a crossroads. And I just thought, well, well, I'll do music. What the heck? What have I got to lose? So 
Um, that's when I pursued coming to the States, and then I started networking down the States, and I got a record deal and endorsements, and I was in Guitar Player Magazine, uh, just doing tons of networking. I just thought, what Incredible. the heck, you only live once. Incredible. Well, one of the perks of the podcast is I get exposed to musicians and styles of music that I know little to nothing about. And you've managed to build a successful career in the gospel genre, including a number of solo releases that have won awards. How many awards have you won? Six. And what, and what for? Uh, twice for Instrumental Song of the Year, twice for Jazz Blues, once for Instrumental Album, and one for Aboriginal Song of the Year, which I didn't understand. I collaborated with someone. But um, I don't take I, the I award. Gospel Music Awards. So what led you to this, this style, uh, this genre of music? Well, here's the thing. My music is instrumental. So it can be interpreted anyway. Sure. It's just that I, I spent a lot of time uh, in Nashville, and Nashville is like, you know, Southern and the Bible Belt, and I got signed to a record label that worked with uh, artists of the faith and stuff like that. But my stuff is instrumental. So it, it, it's across the board. I mean, I've had people like it from all... St- it can be interpreted many different ways, but I think it's just the audience that it connects with um, for some reason. Um in fact, when we finish this record that I've worked on it for a long time and got another song or two down in Nashville, it's going to be done early 2018. We're putting it in the Grammys, and it's going to be an instrumental world, that world music instrumental. So it, I know it wins gospel music awards, but it's instrumental, so it can be interpreted many different ways. Um, so the guitar and the melodies and the arrangements are all kind of like my voice, and it gives me that... Um, that way to express myself I can't when I'm playing with other artists. I mean, I could play a E major 7-6-9 chord or a half-diminished chord or a whole tone scale, something that you can't play when you're in, you know, a Scorpions tribute or, <laughs> or a Journey tribute, which is, which is, which is fine. But um, my solo stuff is kind of like my own artistic thing where I can go into different music and I can explore and express certain things I'm turned on to if I... I started getting into really orchestral music, and I went and saw with my uh, wife, um, my lovely wife, who I got married to in September 2nd, Carling. I just thought I'd mention that. We saw the symphony, uh, Edmonton Symphony Orchestra last year, and I was really just amazed at how tight they were. So some of this record I'm doing has, I've got a French horn on it. I have Jennifer Kumar, who played in the Nashville uh, Honolulu, and she played with, I think, the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, and she played on one of my songs. I sent it to you. It was called Awaken My Love. That one, that jazz blues song of the year. So I look at different ways to add different treatments, and um, I just explore different types of music depending on what I'm turned on to. I got a bluegrass song on this record that features Travis Toy, who plays with Rascal Flatts. You clearly have... Uh an open mind to multiple different idioms of music and it comes out in your playing. I, I mean, I, for one, I didn't know what to expect when I was listening to your music and, and what I got was I heard elements of pop. I heard jazz. I heard country. I heard prog rock. Of course I heard Celtic. Um, so I'm curious, is this indicative of what listeners could expect from say all your records in general? Is that what you kind of go for? Yeah, sort of. I mean, my records have evolved. I did, well, I've done, the first one I did, I released something about over 10 years ago called Reflections of You, and that was a weird one. That was very organic and acoustic, and that had a lot of some sax on it. It's called Reflections of You. Then I did this this album called Olive Tree, and the, the CEO of the record label um, really pushed me into a more jazzier 
uh, area. So it was very kind of jazzy, a little bit fusion-y. And of course, moving down to, to Nashville, you, you know, you can't help but to be molded and just with, with the people that there, it's the most wonderful place on earth to be a musician. I mean, whether you make it big or not, you're just going to get better hanging around better players and people who are phenomenal songwriters and just that whole atmosphere is electric. And this whole record that I've been working on and still working on uh, out to be out hopefully next year, it has a Nashville sound, but it is indicative of all the styles I love. I just love music. And I can give you a couple examples. If you listen to a record that Steve Morris did, he played for the Dixie Dregs and Deep Purple. He had a solo record called High Tension Wires. I mean, it's got a Celtic tune on it. He does a little classical piece. It's got kind of a metal tune on it. It's got a, even a country tune called Country Colors. It's all over the place. It's just expressive. Pat Metheny kind of did the same thing with an album called Secret Story. So to me, it just it, it's like a potluck of all the styles I love, but it somehow it works together. And I think when we release it, it'll be instrumental, but we're, we're classifying it, I think, more as world music. Right. And, you know, I definitely got that from from listening to your stuff. I mean, you are an incredible player and you have killer tone. I mean, as a as a drummer, I love great guitar players and you are certainly one of them. Um, how many solo records do you have right now? Um, I've got two instrumental. Uh, Reflections of You came out in 2006 and then this olive tree that was signed with the label City of Peace which is affiliated with um, Integrity and Capital. That came out 2011. This last one I worked on for over five years and I've been just wanting to get it right. I almost thought I finished it last year when I went down to Nashville and I kind of think well I've probably got one or two more songs and then it's done. So my wife and I were going to head down there uh, early in 2018 and I think I think that'll be it. But um, as for my style, yeah, people can accept. But five years from now, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I thought. I mean, I got a huge bucket list. I might do a reggae album if I connect with <laughs> right, If I connect with the right artist, I would do that. If why I connected, not? You know, I, yeah. Why not? I connected with a Latino artist, and we did a record in Costa Rica. I went down to Costa Rica and did a record, and it was awesome. Uh, a guy named Johnny Juarez. He lives in Nashville now. Runs a music school. And we did a record in Costa Rica, and I was heavily into Latin music. I just passionately love music, and the only thing music has to do to me is speak to me. I mean, I don't really think there's really um, people could say I don't like this or I don't like rap, but well, if it, what if it's what if it speaks to you? I mean, I'm the type I, you know, I get up in the morning, I listen to Andre Segovia, this amazing classical player. I'll listen to organ music, and then I ask my wife for Christmas, can you get me the Metallica Black album on vinyl? Yes. I mean, go figure. <laughs> well, it's a chestnut. Yeah, and that is probably the best rock album I think ever. That Metallica Black album. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I've been going through their back catalog recently. Uh, on a side note, and I don't know if there's enough attention or, or given to their their first release, the Kill 'Em All release. I mean, it was, it was such a groundbreaker for that style of music. Um, and then even to their latest release, I found it was a really good release, uh, solid. I mean, they've had some 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 weaker albums in, in between, but uh, they get a pass from me for some of their earlier releases, absolutely. It was part of my formative years, for sure. Um, but getting back to you, of course, uh, you mentioned your new record, and you've got a couple tracks you still want to finish up that you're going to head to Nashville to do. So are you anticipating release, say, in early to mid-2018? 
Yeah, that, that's the hope for it. I've worked with a great producer, Dave Tuss. He teaches at Belmont University. He's a professor there. And uh, 2018 is, is the thing. Um, when I went down there, I only had two solid days. So I thought to myself, well, I could squeeze more songs in, but I would, would have rather done the two songs I did down there and give more attention to them than try and stretch myself a little bit too thin. So, um, yeah, about mid-2018, we, we would think that would be done. And it's something I've worked on for five um, or six years. But even to me, the direction a record goes with me surprising to me because it just depends what I'm into. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about my next record is doing a heavier record, you know, getting away from this kind of soft and, you know, fluffy, dreamy kind of stuff and, you know, and, and do something that's much, much, much more edgier. I mean, sure. I've got one piece already written for the next record of edgier and get pounding drums. Well, maybe it's because I'm listening to the Metallica Black album. I don't know. Um, but to me, music is art and art is all about one thing. It's about expression and making that connection with the listener. And that's that's what it is for me. Well, I think you hit on a, on a nice point here in that when I think of, say, uh, the Christian gospel genre itself, um, I, I think I want to think of it as one thing or I put it into in a nice little corner in a box. But when I listen to your stuff, it was it's just so much more than that. And, and there were so many different layers. So I'm curious is you know what you do indicative of what other artists within the genre do i mean by this i mean do some of them play country some of them play pop some of them play rock but all with say maybe a faith-based message to their music it is and i think the reason i I, i've liked it because it was very uh it's a positive message too but this the music everyone thinks that well it's all going to be like you know like the gazers or something well listen to a band called thousand foot crutch I, I know those guys, and the lead singer Trevor lives in Nashville. I mean, those guys have been on like festivals with Alice Cooper, Thousand Foot Crutch. Listen to their stuff. It's heavy, it's edgy, it's just not, you know, very dark or dismal. Sure. And that's the, the one problem I've had with a lot of metal music. Yeah, it's awesome. And that's one of the things I like about Metallica. It's not all about the occult and, and that type of stuff. It's just, it's, it's edgy, but it's you don't want to feel like killing yourself after listening to it. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of elements to it. Yeah, and, and, and that genre is huge. The gospel-based uh, genre music itself—it just seems so much broader, with so many different layers and so many different styles of music within this one category. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, there's different there's different subgenres, and my music is instrumental, so my music can be interpreted many ways, and it can go across all types of boundaries because it's instrumental it's just me using the, the guitar or the things i write because i don't sing so there's no lyrical content to it and um it can be interpreted in many ways it's just it's very interesting how it appealed to a certain group and that's the the way it started to evolve and um you know i was happy with that um but my music can be interpreted um many many different ways um, absolutely you know, i get that stuff, yeah, I mean, some people think it's about this or it's about that, and, and um, you know, it's all about the expression and the idea I'm trying to get uh, uh, across there. And there's a, a song that I, I'm really proud of, Was it's like a Middle Eastern song, it's called Tel Aviv. Yeah. And I, I picked that, so that's kind of middle, and, but that's kind of influenced by almost like 
El Dimiola. He had this song that was kind of like that, that Middle Eastern, and, and it's got the harmonic minor scale in it. And uh, the violin player I had on it was just killer. I mean, this guy did the session with me in Nashville, and then he went to play at the Grand Ole Opry with Crystal, Crystal Gale that same night. I mean, um, yeah, the place... You know, it's, it, it's, it's very hard to put a thumb on that music, but to me, it's all about making that connection with the listener. Absolutely. Now, where is this genre taking you to play within Canada? Um, you know, it's interesting. I just did a TV show, and I got, um, it's called Huntley Street, and yeah. it was just in Burlington, and I was on there, and I did like Easter special with a, a phenomenal singer called Kevin Pauls, and he... I did that back in the spring there. I got asked to do that. Um, obviously, the GMA Awards, I get, I've been nominated for several years now, every year, and go to Edmonton. Um, in my earlier days, I mean, I played all over Ontario, Quebec, um, every small town, like even places like Spanish Ontario, I have played. And uh, these tiny little places you'd never think existed where there's some side road that you'd have to get to, you know? I've done all that stuff, and... Um, you know, those were, I wouldn't trade those years for anything because they really developed me. And, um, yeah. Would you say that there's a strong presence for the Christian gospel uh, music within this country? Yes, I, I would say so. The talent is phenomenal. When you go out there, you see, like, for instance, look at Jacob Moon. Jacob Moon is a, a I guess you could say, a, a faith based artist, but, um, you know, Rush got his attention. He did this phenomenal cover of Subdivisions, if you look on YouTube, what he did. And he just did a, a really good cover with David uh, Barrett of Time Stand Still. And I've seen him every year out at the GMAs, but he sings and plays a acoustic, and he's got a band, and he's phenomenal. I mean, check out Jacob Moon is another one. Ali Matthews is, is another one. Uh, Kevin Pauls is a phenomenal singer. And there's these amazing bands that are coming out, like Thousand for Crutch, um, The Color. Um, City Harmonic is another one. Okay. And these are bands that are down in the States getting big attention and getting on major tours. And uh, So it's a, it's a very diverse thing. And my music is into that thing being you know faith-based and having a positive message, but it's yep. also yep. instrumental. It can be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that there are pockets, certain pockets within this country where the genre seems to be more popular? And by that I mean, like, would you say maybe more out east, out west, more urban than rural, or does it matter at all? I don't think it matters, but if, probably if I did have to pick one, it would be out west. It's a little bit uh, more predominant out there. I mean, the bigger cities are more, when you go to Toronto, like there's jazz and there's blues, and, you know, there are courses, you know, there are rock clubs. But, yeah, out west, I would say, and uh, rural places like, in you know, out east, Nova Scotia, things like that. Okay. Where would someone go to see a live show? Now, I feel like if I went to, say, the Royal Albert in Winnipeg on a Tuesday night, I wouldn't find this music playing there. But then again, I don't know. Maybe it would. You know, there's a lot of festivals that, that have that kind of thing. I remember I did a festival years ago north of Barrie, and I can't remember. There was a huge band called Jars of Clay, and I oh, yeah. think Thousand Foot Crutch were there. And um, I, I, that's when I was doing the Latin music with Johnny Juarez. Um, you know, there, there are festivals, things like that. For, for instance, Jacob Moon, he's a great artist to see. I highly recommend go see Jacob Moon. He plays a lot of like, like churches or Ali Matthews, but then he'll play down at um, uh, clubs in Toronto, like Hughes Room. 
I don't even know if that's still around, but he, he played there. Yeah, Hughes I Room, mean, yeah, what a great awesome. place. I lived down the street from it, and unfortunately, Hughes Room just recently closed down. Would you say then that this genre is somewhat like the country music uh, genre, where it's it's aligned with summer festivals? I, w- I would say so, yeah. There's a lot of festivals that go on during uh, the summer and things like that. Yeah, that would be fair to say. Okay. If an artist or a band wanted to break into, say, the, the gospel genre, what advice would you have for them that perhaps, you know, would give them a leg up? Something that maybe you wished you knew then that you know now? Well, I guess the obvious question sometimes is you got to go um, where it's predominant. Like, I mean, Nashville's a great place to go. I mean, all the record labels are there. But, I mean, if people just want to, for instance, go... You know, they play in their local church, like, you know, because they, and that's one thing I learned. I mean, I had played clubs for years and years and years. And then when I go to church, I thought, well, there's some phenomenal musicians. I mean, now I go to um, an older 200-year-old church in Niagara Falls, New York, which is a First Baptist. And there's like all these people that are old enough to be my grandparents. But there's this phenomenal guy there who plays like this pipe organ. And it just sounds amazing. And his wife does this kind of um, choir vocals that I can't even describe. I mean, that would be one place to go. Just do that. But the festivals are another, and um, uh, network with people. But Nashville is is the place to go for that. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get into some of your film career, because I know you've dabbled in it. You were involved in a movie featuring Ashley Judd, Seth Green, and Ray Liotta called The Identical, which was released back in 2014. Um, Yes. What did you do, or how involved were you in this film? Well, I was involved because my record label um, founded the film. It was their creation and their idea. And I was signed to them as a solo artist. And they talked about this movie. And they were. And one of the driving forces of this movie was going to be the music. And if you get a chance to see it on Netflix, um, you know, you could see it's very musically driven. And they had the producer, uh, music um, producer, Jerry Marcelino. And if you Google him, he was a... Um, a producer back with Motown. He worked with Michael Jackson, you know, when he right. was uh, with Brothers and Diana Ross and all them. So Jerry Marcelino was a big Motown producer. So he wrote all the music. And I was in three of the bands that were touring it. Before the movie was released, I, I lived out in Los Angeles and we put the bands together. We showcased at the Troubadour and You're had kidding. all of the um, industry people come out from the entertainment and the movie and, and, and all this stuff. And then we toured it, and I was in three of those those bands. Unfortunately, the film just didn't do well at the box office, even though I believe it was a good film because it won the Nashville Film Festival Audience Choice Award. I think it was just a timing thing, and I really enjoyed playing it. I was in an R&B band, um, a rock band called the Morph Kings, and um, another one which was like the El- the main character, Blake Rain. He was the Elvis guy. I was with him. So I was in three bands. All three of those bands were with Capitol Records. And the soundtrack was released identical on Capitol Records. It just didn't, unfortunately, do well at the theater, and everything kind of stopped. Ah. Uh, well, are you working on any films now? Yes. I'm uh, very happy to say I'm back with my very dear friend, um, Tom Curlander. He's going to do a documentary that's going to raise uh, awareness for Alzheimer's, only it's going to have a very artistic 
slant to it. Not a medical documentary that'll probably be boring, but very artistic. There's a soundtrack written to it. We're going to be in the studio. We did two shows in 2016 uh, with um, some players from the local symphony orchestra and um, conductor Kyle Simpson to raise money and, and get people on board and to start this thing. And he's going to do a new record. He's close friend and, as far as I'm concerned, a creative genius. I've worked with him in the past. I toured his Sugar Burn Sessions record, in my opinion. You've got to check out this record. This guy is Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Tom Petty, all rolled up in one. His lyrics are very powerful, and that Sugar Burn Session is an awesome record. Look it up on YouTube or Spotify. And I toured that with him, and uh, he's going to do another follow-up to that soon. So I've been making trips down to Pittsburgh and uh, getting this lined up. Unfortunately, with films and things like that, they're very slow moving. There's a lot of moving parts and a lot of heavy lifting you got to do. So they, they take time to do. I mean, the identical was a four year project and this documentary is, is, is coming into shape and what we're going to do and we're going to film it. And, but um, it's, it's coming together slowly, but surely. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Cause I know you've done uh, work with uh, actor Tom Curlander in the past and, and you've, you've touched on it. So do you think there'll be any plans to tour the album when it's done or and, and showcase the film when it's done? Oh, yeah, most definitely. He wants to put it in the um, the Sundance Film Festival. Obviously, we've we got some very good, good and um, powerful people connected to the film because Alzheimer's is a, a terrible disease which they have no um, cure for. So, yeah, we have plans to tour it to record and just unfortunately it's kind of been slow moving with all the things that got to come together to make it happen and and you know how long we're going to film it and lining things up but yeah there, there's going to be a tour and he's going to do another record a follow-up to sugar burn sessions and and i i absolutely love his stuff i'm not just his friend and a player in his, in his band but I'm, I'm a fan of his music so well, that sounds exciting. Like you've got a lot of really good things on the horizon. I think leading to my last question, and it's a, it's a loaded question, in order to become a successful musician here in Canada, do you feel you need to leave the country to see your dreams, passion, and hard work come to fruition? Well, that, that, that's I was thinking about the other day, and yes and no. I mean, there's bands that were successful, but they never left Canada. For instance, the Tragically Hip or Rush, but we live in a different you know, a different age now. And you got to ask yourself, basically, the one question is, how far do you want to take it? I mean, uh, for instance, um, I'm in Hamilton here, and I went and saw a friend's band, Mike Dale. They're phenomenal. Uh, they're a Rush tribute, 2112. They're the best at what they do. I mean, these guys play the whole side of Hemispheres and, and the entire 2112, of Farewell of the Kings. Um, it That's depends incredible. on how far you want to take it. Yeah, it depends on how far you want to take it. You've got to ask yourself, honestly, how far do I want to take it? Do I want to get on a tour bus? Do I want a recording contract? Then, yeah, you would have to move. But then there's people that, you know, are happy. Well, you know, I'm I'm happy just, you know, writing some songs and, and playing in a coffee house and I can make that connection with people. Or, you know, I got my job and, and I love this particular band. I'm, I'm in this tribute band and I get to blow off steam on the weekends. And that's, that's, fine, that's fine, too. But if you want to take it to that whole other level there's there's no question you would have to to relocate because I, I don't think no correct i may be wrong i don't think there's record labels even to sign people in canada and to tour in canada is very difficult um because they're you know for instance you're in toronto well if you're heading out west the next the next major city's winnipeg well that's 30 hours away 
Yeah. You know, and in the smaller towns, you can hit like Sudbury or Thunder Bay. Well, where I'm in, in the Buffalo, New York area, within a seven, eight hour drive, I can hit New York City, Boston, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, Cleveland, you know, and it goes on and on and on. Yeah. So that there's just a higher concentration and, and more clubs and, and more opportunity. But if you want to take it to that next level and say, you know, I'd love to, uh, be, you know, get on a tour bus and, and maybe get a recording contract. You would most definitely have to do that, unfortunately. But that doesn't say anything about the amazing talent that's in Canada. I mean, I'm just blown away by it. A month ago, my wife and I, we went and saw Pursuit of Happiness. Wicked band. And oh, next yeah. week, we're going to keep the Sheepdogs. Yeah. I mean, the Sheepdogs are a Canadian band from Saskatoon. They were the only band ever to be a Rolling Stone, only unsigned band ever to be a Rolling Stone. I mean, go figure. Yeah. You gave us some very grounded advice. Uh, Sean, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you on the web? Well, my, my website is currently like on its construction and getting some tweaks done to it. They could email me at mrseanspicer at yahoo.com, all lowercase, um, or uh, just do Facebook, Sean L. Spicer. That's the easiest way and message me. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to assist anybody or give them advice and i mean i went through the whole process of coming to the states and what it took to do that and first getting a work permit and and i knew all the ways but yeah there are people out there that uh there's somewhere right now there's somebody rehearsing who's the next tragic we have for the next neil young you know in their living room writing songs and that need to be heard absolutely sean i'm going to put some uh links on the website for you so people can get access to you quickly um, I want to thank you for speaking to me and sharing your stories on the Highway One podcast. I greatly appreciate your time and your stories. Yes, thank you. And also, um, I just want to add, any, if they want to get a hold of me uh, through this film and check out the film I'm doing, it's 21voices.org. Okay. Um, that's the documentary. I'll put a link on the site for you as well. Awesome. Sean. I so appreciate you having me. Have a great day and enjoy the rest of your time here in, uh, in Canada while you're here this weekend. Yes, thank you, sir. Take care, buddy. This concludes this edition of the Highway One podcast for this week. I want to thank Sean Spicer again for his time and sharing his experiences being an award-winning Canadian musician here at home and abroad. I'm your host, Jeff Elliott. Production provided by Dave Beeson. Music provided by Dave Viva of The Mercy Now. Until next time... Thanks for listening.